Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of horror with a discussion about the very first horror film I ever saw, Poltergeist. And I think this will be a lot nicer discussion, or at least longer, and probably more positive than our Amityville recording where where Sasha and Susie and I all decided we don't like that movie (laughs) so anymore. So that was, except for we love certain men in beards, And we liked watching Ryan Reynolds in the remake, Chopping Wood. So that was about it that we liked. (laughs) So this should be a lot of fun. But before I have my panelists introduce themselves and tell me something they're into right now, just a quick housekeeping note that, of course, we are accepting listener support on Patreon. So become a supporter. And, you know, we have an upcoming Lucifer episode we're going to record. It's probably going to be an epically long Lucifer episode. I have a feeling, even though it's just going to be about the final season, for some reason, those episodes are so long. So it'll probably be really long. And we might be dropping another little bonus little (laughs) episode. My panelists are laughing at me because, yeah, we had some stuff that we recorded before this began that we might drop as a bonus. Or who knows? Maybe it'll appear at the end of this episode. You never, ever know. So go over to our Patreon account. The links are in our show notes or on any of our social media. Okay, so I'm going to have my panelists introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now. Carla. Well, hello again. I'm glad to be back. And to tell you that the thing that I'm into is avoiding watching New Girl. And that's because (laughs) I, I, I set up a poll on Twitter because I've been just dodging this show forever. I was like, you know, like, is it good enough for me to actually watch? So, I, you know, I, I asked a friend of mine and, and he said, yes, definitely. It's a great show. And I said, I don't believe you. Let's ask the world. So send out that that poll. For a while, it was like 50-50 on the yes or no. But eventually it went 75 in favor of watching it. So I guess I'm going to be doing that at some point soon. In the meantime, I've, I have been very creative and not doing that. I decided, you know what? This would be a great time to just start watching horror movies. So that's what I've been doing instead of watching New Girl. Last night I watched, um, it was called, what was it? A, the Boy Behind the Door oh, on Shudder. Oh, I've heard about that one. I've heard about that one. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it, but I did watch it. The <laughs> acting was very good by the little boys. Other than that, I'm not sure how I feel. Huh. 
Interesting. Yeah, because I've heard good things about it. So that's interesting. And I'd like to point out again, I tried to save Carla from having to do this. I tried my hardest. I sent her recommendations in the thread, but I realized <laughs> my my thing is, you know, recommendations. I, I can't send her anymore, probably, since she already watched two shows. Yes. <laughs> Look, I've already been through through Dexter, um, Bates Motel. Oh, she's going to Dexter Folk. now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, like last year. we're talking historical, okay? Like historical. Historically, it's been Dexter, um, Queer's Folk, and Bates Motel. I have watched all three, and I have enjoyed all three, except for a couple of seasons that shall not be named of Dexter. <laughs> awesome. Remember, everything goes back to Dexter. And, <laughs> and Sasha, what are you into it's right now? True. Uh, I'm knee-deep in apples. Literally. <laughs> Like, I'm not even joking. My apple tree exploded, so I've been making apple butter. So I haven't been doing much other than that. However, uh, Carla mentioned Shudder. And so a couple of weeks ago, it's not currently, but a couple of weeks ago, I watched is it 13 shorts on Shudder. It's like super quick. I can't remember the title. I want to say it's like 13 shorts, but they're like, you know, a couple minute horror movies. Maybe they're just a minute. Oh, my God. But there's 13 of them. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah. Awesome. You know who hasn't mentioned Shudder in forever on this show? Me. So it's amazing. I've got two people mentioning Shudder. I just haven't had time to watch. I watched Poltergeist on Shudder. But, yeah. So, Susie, other than your blowjob-proof red lipstick, what are you into right now? We're all into that lipstick. Now, I cannot say that it's been tested. Sorry, I had to say that. But if anyone does want to test it and let me know their results, you'd be doing me a favor. I just want to know. I'm curious. Like, if I'm going to full-on dive into a whole piece of cake a la Bruce from Matilda, is it going to stay on? Like, that's my main concern. Is it going to stay on while I eat food? I mean, it stayed on today while I had, like, this ginormous burger. Like, Jesus Christ, this thing was as big as my hand. And it stayed on. I, I was impressed. But if it's like other things more cardiovascular in nature. <laughs> I mean, definitely vascular. So, but what are you really into? <laughs> I just rewatched the Haunted Mansion movie. <laughs> I mean, apparently that thing has been universally panned, but I really enjoy it. I think it's a fun, like silly movie. I have a good time. I love that movie. Oh my god, you are the first person that I've ever heard tell me that they like that movie too. <laughs> Everyone else I've heard is just like, oh, that thing is terrible. Like, oh, I can't believe it. I think it's fun. It's fun and silly. <laughs> you can you can feel free not to include this part in the episode, but also for the longest time, whenever anyone talked about Dexter, I thought they were talking about the cartoon from Cartoon Network. <laughs> Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> How did that work, very, you, Susie? Were you just like it got very dark? I was, I was just like, oh my god, TV has really changed. And then, very different shows. And it was, and it was only until like I think, like even when Erin talked about it, I thought it, she was talking about the cartoon. And it wasn't until she shared an image one day of of Dexter, I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's what she's talking about. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Aaron, I looked it up and it's by Nyx, like 
the Nick's makeup. 13 minutes oh. of horror film fest. It's 13 okay. shorts in 13 minutes. 13 minutes of horror is a 60 second film challenge for women horror filmmakers. Oh, awesome. See, that's why I love Shudder because I think they're a lot more inclusive than a lot of other streaming platforms, frankly. So what am I into? I mean, <laughs> I, red I, lipstick. Yes. I'm, I'm into trying, I'm into going and buying the red lipstick and then trying it out. I'm really into doing, I've already mentioned this on the last episode, but I really am having fun doing my little Twitter threads of characters that Finn Whitrock played on American Horror Story. That's been a blast. Jen is the only one that is getting as much pleasure out of it as me, but I don't care because I'm having fun doing them. <laughs> I just want to say that you have also been enjoying tagging Meg and me in that. I know. Why didn't tag you in two? Do. Well, <laughs> that's because that we you're going do to do an episode about, yeah, that's like, that's a reach and a half, but I love your enthusiasm. Hey, how many episodes have you and Meg bullied me into doing? <laughs> I can count them. It's only been like seven of them. <laughs> See? I'm just asking for this one. Jen would be on there too. You don't have to watch these episodes. We can very, very easily inform you on these characters. I think it'd be very easy for you to make a decision, maybe, possibly. I could even tell you what to do. But <laughs> Okay, so now we will get into Poltergeist. And like I said, this is the very first horror movie I ever saw. So the first thing I want to know is, because I have a theory on this movie. So I want to know, Carla, did you first see this as an adult or as a child? I I was definitely not a grown-up. I think I may, I may have been in my preteen years that, that I saw it. Um, no, I might, I might have been. Whatever. It was a very long time ago is what I'm trying to say. And then I rewatched it again a couple of times throughout my life. And this is the first time that I that I watched it that I didn't feel like I was going to crap my pants. So <laughs> I think either I've done a lot of maturing or I'm just very jaded. Or now that, you know, that I have so many friends who have told me why they're into horror in a way that makes sense to me so that I'm not so scared when I watch horror movies, I can just enjoy it as opposed to be like, well, clearly this is what's going to lead me to hell. That was awesome. So, Sasha, were you a kid or were you an adult when you first saw this? Uh, I think similar to Carla, I was probably preteen when I first saw it. Uh, definitely not an adult, but not a small child. So, and I do remember it being quite freaky and not wanting TVs to do static. Still not a fan of snow on TVs. Um, mm -hmm. That noise is like fingernails on a chalkboard. And I blame this movie. Yeah. And then Susie, were you young or were you an adult? I was very much a youth, <laughs> a wee baron, you could say. And uh, the, before I ever watched the movie, it was hyped up to me as being very scary. And even seeing the DVD cover with Caroline in front of the TV and her silhouette and the snow and everything, it, it looked scary. But upon watching it, I was very bored. I I didn't find it scary and when it came to the effects and and everything, I thought they were cool, but they didn't really inspire fear as much as other films that I watched as a kid did. 
See, well, that kind of blows my theory. But my theory is I saw this movie when I was six years old. So I was really, I was the youngest. My babysitter showed this to me. And it terrified me. Like, I, I can't, couldn't hear, like, you know, the sign-off on TVs and stuff, that sign-off thing. If I had heard that, I was switching the station really quickly or turning off the TV really quickly. That freaked me out. Static freaked me out. Of course, clowns, but clowns in general are scary. And, and a couple of other things, too, like um, the face peeling scene when he peels off his face in the mirror. I remember that being so terrifying when I was younger. Watching it now, it's kind of silly looking. But back then, that was like really freaky. And I just remember that scene vividly. And then it still scares me a little bit watching it. I still think there are some scary things. And I think that's because I was so young when I watched it. So my theory has always been, if you didn't see this, if you see this the first time you're an adult and you're as an adult, you're going to find it very boring and it's not going to scare you. But if you see it young, it'll scare you. That's always been my theory because I've talked to so many people that the first time they see it as an adult, they're like, this is the stupidest movie. It's boring. I don't understand why anyone finds this scary. This is not scary. This is a Steven Spielberg movie, which we're going to get to that kind of stuff. Uh, so I don't find this scary. So that's why I wanted to ask that question. So I think it's interesting with you, Susie, but it could be because people hyped it up so much. I didn't have anyone hyping it up for me, but. Well, yeah, because when I was a kid, I always wanted to watch scary movies and I was told, no, you can't, you can't handle it. It's going to be too scary. It's, you're not going to be able to take it. And there are some of them that I would get really genuinely scared. Like to this day, I, I still <laughs> kind of don't like watching anything with dolls in it because oh, yeah. dolls oh. freak me the heck out. Me it's too. too creepy. But with other stuff, it's like, oh, this is cool. This is fine. Well, do you like it more now, Susie, though? I'm curious because... I do because I just have more of an appreciation. Like for me, it's more of an appreciation for the special effects and the cinematography and everything. That's mm -hmm. where like my main like of the film is. Like how you said the face peeling scene, that is one of my favorite things. Because whenever my sinuses are particularly bad, that's what I would like to do as well. <laughs> just, peel, just peel it off and start anew. Yes, exactly. I tell people all the time, that's how I know when I'm allergic to a medication is I want to do that to my face. Wow. I just want to peel it off. Like I start digging. It's bad. Yes, I'm with you, Susie. Uh, well, then I'm going to so we've kind of already answered this. So I'm skipping ahead here. But so do you. F so, Carla, you said you don't find it scary anymore. Is that correct? So it doesn't scare you anymore. Right. No, not at all. No, I not I, even the clown. <laughs> the, the clown. I. I mean, it's still creepy as hell. I still don't want anything clown related in my vicinity. But I, I think if there's a scary element to it now for me it's that when carol ann goes missing because you know like I, I think your fears change they evolve as you as you mature and as life happens to you and for me i'm not so much worried about a weird light sucking me into a closet as i am you know something just up and taking my kid yeah. so so that, that kind of stuff really changes things for me so the jump scares, I don't get scared of them. The, the, that that meat on the counter um, that suddenly just starts to kind of self-cube. Yeah. Like, you know, instant cube meat. 
doesn't bother me anymore. None of that stuff. Like the, the tree eating Robbie bothered me, even though it's you know it's it's by today's standards it's, it's still a pretty cheesy shot. And Caroline being sucked into the closet, yes. But even those, it, it's not like a visceral thing of like, oh my god, I have to turn off the TV now. It's just that that um, back of of the mind thing of oh yeah, I have to really you know remind my child to to stick close to us when we're out that kind of thing you know it it, it triggers different things now than it did when i was a kid yeah sasha does it it still scares you right didn't you say it still scares you the the clown is not okay clowns are never okay so yes that clown will always scare me until the day i die it is not it does not scare me like it did when i was little or younger but it the tree like that whole tree thing is still terrifying. I still have moments where the tree in my backyard, depending on where the moonlight is, if it casts shadows on my walls, I like creep away from under the window so that I'm not directly under the window. That makes sense. Cause I'm mm-hmm. it's that primal fear. Like you said, Carla, like it's just in the back of my brain where tree's going to eat me and I don't want to get eaten by a tree. I love the tree. Please don't eat me. I'm a hugger. I hug trees, tree hugger. Don't eat me. I I'm your friend. Like, please. Um, the clown, clowns are never okay under any circumstances. I don't care what you say. They're just evil, evil, evil have to go. And Carla, after that meat scene, I am shocked that not more people are vegetarian. (laughs) (laughs) I really am like that's coming from the vegan in me where it's like that meat. Come on. (laughs) And how rude is he? I'm, I'm, that he's oh no! Seriously, rude. Like, who goes into somebody's kitchen? Because when he said that he was going to go and get some food, I thought he might go out and you know, like drive down the street or something. But no, he just goes and raids their their fridge. And I'm like, you know what? You brought that on yourself. You know, like yeah. nobody needs to write their name on on their food there. It's just gonna it's gonna look like it like it has maggots on it, and that's on you, buddy. Yeah, I'm just I'm flabbergasted that after that movie, not more people went vegetarian because that was. But you would think that more people would not touch other people's food. Well, there's that, that would be my 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 thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. very true. So, Susie, you said you appreciated it more now. Does it scare you more now? Well, okay. I don't think the parts that like quote unquote scare me are the like the horror aspect parts of it. Like it was mentioned before, to me, the true horror lies in. Who in the Sam Hill thought it was okay to gift an eight-year-old boy and a tiny child a creepy clown doll and then put said clown doll in a chair facing both children's beds? Who said this? No, no, no. And also the other like like kind of quote-unquote horror aspect for me is just the 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 blase nature which everyone else treats this family in their personal space. Like we have that paranormal investigator guy comes in, takes the food, puts it on the counter. We have the construction workers verbally sexually harassing the t- the 16 t- the year old daughter. And one of them even starts like eating her food and putting the spoon oh, yeah. back in and <laughs> drinking her coffee. And she's like, give me back my coffee. That That's like where the true horror is for me. Like just those moments. I'm like, guys, what is the true it? horror is suburban living. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Night HOAs are my nightmare. Like, <laughs> yes. They are pretty horrific. 
Uh, we'll see. Parts of it still scare me, but not on the level of it as it did when I was younger. But the clown will always be terrifying because, yes, I mean, and who wants that? Who wants a clown like that? Seriously. <laughs> never, never would you want a clown like that. I do think, you know, I do still think the their hairline, the way it's delivered is still a little creepy. The tree scene, I think, is really creepy because, first off, that is like the creepiest tree in the world. Why would you? I mean, I would hate to have that tree in my backyard. I would be freaked out. So I think so I think there are creepy scenes to it, but it's a lot easier to watch now as an adult. Like it's not something that I feel like I have to have the lights on afterwards or I have to watch something really light and fluffy afterwards or I'm not or I'm gonna have nightmares. It's not that kind of thing at all. But I think it still holds up well. I still think it's one of the best horror movies ever made, hands down. I just I think it set the stage for a lot of other ones, but I think it's one of the best, hands down, for sure. Can I throw out another that still is scary to me and it's just because it's me? Um, when she falls into that swimming pool that yeah. isn't a swimming pool, um, A, I can't swim. So water freaks me out. And then B, all of the skeletons yeah. come out. And I know, I'm sure everybody, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Poltergeist from so it's like okay if you haven't seen a long time ago (laughs) uh, those skeletons were real people they're not fake so the idea of falling down a muddy hill in the rain into a swimming pool that you can't see in and then all of a sudden all these skeletons come up Uh -uh. that's a whole lot of nope for me hard pass yeah. Like yeah. that scares me. Just the concept of it scares me. Because if that happened, I would pee myself quite literally. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay because everybody pees in the pool. <laughs> That's what the pool is for, Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I... It's in 723. Sasha doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> yeah. If you're freaked out by like the deceased in water, I definitely do not recommend looking up stories of recovery divers oh, and their yeah. and their ghostly experiences beneath the waves yeah probably won't be doing that but yeah i yeah. mean if anyone else does it, it's an interesting read but also it will kind of scare you a little <laughs> if you want a little bit like oh <laughs> a little bit of a scare okay well i want to move on to because i think i think all horror movies no matter what are trying to say something. I think that's one of the reasons it's my favorite genre is there's something underneath it that they're trying to say. And I do even think Poltergeist is. And I think in the later films, they kind of switched it up a little bit and it became a little bit of that annoying um, Indian burial ground racist trope. But in the first one, what I think this is talking about a lot is suburbia. And we already kind of mentioned a little bit, but you know, I mean, they're, they live in this home that replicates every home, each house, you know, is a mold um each house repeating each house looks the same and what they did of course is they built these homes on top of graves and it was a graveyard they didn't move the bodies just the headstones and on a personal note i grew up in a neighborhood in colorado and this is a true thing you can look it up where they did this (laughs) but it wasn't suburban it was very much like not every house looked the same it was a great area Um, but they did that. They left the bodies, a lot of them, because it was a lot of uh, people that they couldn't afford to move out and they couldn't do that stuff at the time. And it's, there's a whole history on it you should see, but it's 
basically it's uh, the area it's called Congress Park and then you go to Cheeseman Park and that whole area you everything built is built on top of graveyards so it's a very haunted area of town I've had lots of my own personal paranormal experiences because I lived in that part of town for a big big part of my childhood so you know I've seen spirits I've had really weird experiences in houses seen spirits in a park, seen all this kind of stuff. So it's so it makes it even freakier in a way when you're young and you see something like this and you're living in an area where you know that, that actually happened. So this is, you know, this really did happen in an area in Colorado. And I'm sure it's happened other places too, for sure. Um, but I think the another part of it is you have all these white families who, white people, even before before the 80s, started fleeing to the suburbs because, you know, they were fleeing black people and brown people and anybody, you know, anybody that wasn't white, basically, they were fleeing to the suburbs because it was safer. So then you have a movie like this where they're in their safe little suburban homes. And then the ghosts of people that were already there are attacking them and destroying that perfect suburban life they were trying to get. And then you've also got, I think on top of that, you've got these two parents who grew up in the 60s, and the 60s was the time of where they were supposed to change the world, and a lot of people that were in the 60s became exactly what they were fighting against. I mean, people that were like teens and young adults in the 60s, they ended up sometimes becoming yippies, which are yuppie hippies, or became a lot, you know, what they were fighting against, if that that makes sense there. So I think this is also talking about that, or maybe I'm reading too much in it. I don't know. What do you think, Carla? (laughs) I have so many thoughts. Okay. For for starters, this movie I I don't think it addresses its own whiteness so much. It it, yeah. it doesn't really, it's not even really conscious of it. The the only slightly conscious thing that they do is when the the developer who's the the Stevens boss says, okay, well these are just you know they're not they're normal graves they're normal graves. It's not like ancient Indian burial ground like that's it. You know it's like okay well. It's not that bad because it's not them. And there are so many instances of just casual racism and just a lot of isms in this movie. But then it gets worse. The second movie, I couldn't get through the first part simply because Stephen at one point says, you know, I have no problem with these people. Speaking of Native Americans, Mm -hmm. I have no problem with these people. I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And I think I might be 116th something or other. It's like, wow, like you're really just digging up all the tropes of, of you know, cl- white cluelessness. But what this movie really is talking about is consumerism, I think. And the this idea that these people deserve all of these wonderful things, that they deserve this gigantic house that probably did not cost them what it costs us to buy something, you know, a quarter the size of it for $200,000. And it, it's just, it, it's gross. When I was watching it, I was just grossed out by the amount of land that these houses took up for this small family. I mean, there, there's only five of, of them and they have this massive plot of land. They have this just ridiculously large building. And so so there, there's like all of that element of, of what's it called, of, of of entitlement without realizing the entitlement of it. Mm-hmm. 
and you have Stephen because okay, so the, the movie, the very first thing that you see is the the national anthem playing on the TV screen, which I know it's because like that was the thing that used to play the very last thing before the the stations went to static. Because back in the day, kids, things didn't run twenty four seven. At some point, the channels would be like, "We're gonna stop broadcasting. Everybody should be asleep by now. We're just gonna." play the national anthem to let you know you should be patriotic as you brush your teeth and go to sleep. And then we're going to have static because you should be in bed thinking about being patriotic. And <laughs> sorry, that thinking about being patriotic. <laughs> Think about America in your dreams. Dream of eagles, not angels. Angels aren't real, but eagles are. America. And then you have Stephen reading a magazine um, and, and it has this thing about Reagan and everything. So it, it is that very, oh, the, the thing too is that uh, they're both rolling joints and just smoking out on the bed in their bedroom, which by the way, your door is wide open and you have small children and you have a 16 year old whom you're probably telling that she can't smoke. So, you know, if you're going to be hypocritical, at least shut your door, least you could do. But no, they're just sitting there rolling joints and they, they have this vibe of, of those kinds of parents that, um, that did grow up in a much freer style. This is 1982 that this movie comes out. Diane, the mom, is supposed to be 32. The oldest daughter is 16. So she had this this child of 16, which tracks if they were hippies and, you know, the free love mm-hmm. thing and whatever. And then it does track that they do become the kind of people who then are, you know, growing, like actual growing up in the American dream sense of getting a job and pursuing the money, which is what Stephen is doing. Stephen has this this job that that nets him this fabulous house, and potentially an even more fabulous house down the line. But all of their what's most in, on display in this movie is their belongings. You see a house that's full of merchandise from all of these these movies. You have like all of these sophisticated TVs. I'm I'm just thinking of the actual equipment and it's like, you know, how quaint. But yes, but these were like, they have multiple TVs in their home, Mm -hmm. which is another thing. They have multiple TVs. They have a huge house. They have expensive toys all over the place. And Diane doesn't seem to to work so she can afford to to stay home. And then what does the poltergeist do? It's from the start, you see it attacking their belongings it doesn't start out by attacking them it it attacks it attacks their belongings it messes with their tv it messes with their chairs and when uh, the kids are being messed with in the bedroom it's their their you know their star wars stuff that's getting tossed about and you don't really i don't know like a lot of, of of the fear in this movie comes from the movement of of stuff so I, I really think that that what this movie is is talking about ends up being referential to white flight, not because they mean to, but that's because but because we as a as an audience can point to it despite their ignorance of it. Very very well said there. Sasha. Yep. <laughs> There are episodes where I love going after Carla, and then there are episodes where I hate going after Carla. (laughs) 
love you, Sasha. I know I love you too. It's all good. No, I mean, I don't know what else to add other than it perfectly encapsulates the early 80s. Like yeah. everything about that house, like everything about what they're doing. It's all very 1980s, you know, the rolling the joint, you know, all of the weird gold brass colored lamps like it's all like status driven Very right their fun. house is like a big display for look at what i have it's so excessive it's the 80s everything needs to be excessive the only thing that would have made it is if there would have been a red sports car in the driveway <laughs> then it would have like hit all of the yes. 80s right Unless like you get the station, instead you get the station wagon. But, yes, the classic yeah. station wagon. I mean, to be fair, there are three kids and a dog. So I kind of, I get it why, you know, there's not the sports mm -hmm. car. But that's the only, it's really the only thing that's missing. Or somebody doing a massive line of cocaine. <laughs> just to show status, right? Like, here's that's how much true. money I have. But in, in that same sense, it made me think of American Psycho where yeah. everything the re, part of the reason that it was so 80s is because of all of that status stuff all of those status symbols the excess it's part of uh, of why american psycho captures the 80s so well and here you see it in full display in this movie mm -hmm. with yeah. less cocaine though yeah <laughs> with less cocaine though. there's well, less hard drugs so he's <laughs> yes less hard drugs more grape jelly slime <laughs> For your viewing yes. pleasure. <laughs> it's just the extreme excess of it all. Yeah. That really screams, you know, the privilege and the, like, look at me, look at me status. Yeah, very much so. I mean, and S Susie will be right back. She had to step away for a second. Yeah, it's, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and I was a kid in the 80s and I, well, I was raised by a single mom, so it was a little bit different. But both of my parents, uh, both my mom and my dad, were very much, you know, in the 60s sense. But my dad was much more like, and I think this was my dad went to Vietnam. And so my dad was in Vietnam. And he always said when he came back, because there were people that were fighting, um, that were protesting and stuff, that would attack vets when they would come back and yell at them and scream at them. Which to me is complete and utter bullshit because, I mean, there was a draft at the time. And I'm sorry, but shut up. So that's my feeling on it. I mean, you know, you're kind of like attacking what you're fighting against or whatever. Uh, but when you're a kid growing up at that time and you have those parents, it's weird because, yeah, there is that hypocrisy, like you said, Carla, where, I mean, you know, you do have the parents that are smoking pot. They still smoke pot because they did that a lot when they're growing up or they had all these. I mean, my mom has told me stories that it is amazing. My mom is alive. still. <laughs> some of the stuff she did. It's I mean, really, I'm not going to say it in here because I don't want to embarrass my mom. But it's just incredible. The stories she's told me. So then you have parents who have done all these things and then they have kids and then a lot of them move to the suburbs and a lot of them moved to this land and they're like okay we're going to be free loving open parents and we're going to be your friends but we're also going to try and lay down the law but at the same time we're not and then you also and then that was, that's why i think it became a latchkey generation that's why i think generation x is known as the latchkey generation because you had parents wanting to be a lot more 
free with their kids. And then most parents, both of them would be working usually. I mean, this was kind of, I mean, yes, you still had, I still had friends that had one parent that would stay home if the parents were together. But a lot of, I had a lot of friends that were raised by single parents or their parents were divorced. And so they were kind of moving between houses or even if their parents were married, both parents worked. So it was like you were kind of raising yourself in a way. And so I think sometimes if people are older and they watch this movie, I think they kind of don't see that they're like, oh yeah, they would have never been like this. Parents would have never done this. And like, well, no, a lot of parents were like that. And especially a lot of the white parents, I think more than anything, when they were going into this suburban area. And then I want to point out, I think really what this reminds me of so much is I went to high school in Boulder, which two of my panelists are from Colorado, so they know Boulder. Boulder has a reputation of that's where all the hippies went was to Boulder. Boulder is a very, very, very expensive city to live in. Um, I think now everything's kind of comparable here, sadly, but Boulder used to be like, that's where the rich people lived and the rich white liberal people lived in Boulder. But I got to tell you, going to high school in Boulder and having a lot of friends from Boulder, people in Boulder have this thing where it's like, they're like, they're all about like, they're like the classic white liberals because it's like, oh, we're all for inclusivity and we're all for... We love everybody and we want everybody to be great and wonderful and we're going to embrace you all. And then I would come down to Denver with some of them and they'd be, they would literally think Denver was just filled with cowboys and gangbangers is what I would hear people say all the time to me. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, that's because you are living in this weird world where you are surrounded. It's, I, I wish I could remember that phrase. Does anybody else remember that phrase for Boulder where it's like, something miles surrounded by reality is how people describe boulder yeah i we always called it uh the people's republic of boulder and we were yes, waiting for them one. to mm -hmm. we were waiting them for them to put a dome over it yeah yeah because they think they are above this suburban thing the white mm -hmm. suburban thing but it's really just a whole town of white suburbia mm -hmm. you know that's i mean i haven't been there in years and i mean i had fun up there i had great friends i you know i lived there for a couple of years after high school but it's still like this town of just, you know, yippies. It's just yippies. That's where all the yippies went. And I and all my friends that lived up there were raised by their parents. They had lots of money and they were supposed to be the ones fighting against the system. And they were still saying they were kind of hippies, but they wouldn't be as accepting as some of my friends. So it's like this weird, you know, so they would end up coming down and hanging out with us because my mom was a little bit different or something, you know, so it was just... So I think that's, I mean, I got off on a total tangent there, but I think it kind of goes with it. That's well, what, what I was going to say though, is that, that, that makes sense because even through my high, my high school experience, everybody, like all of the grownups that, that I knew would say, you know, as you get older, you get more conservative and mm -hmm. that's no longer the case. You know, I think we've reached a tipping point now where the older you get for just in the experience that I've had with all of the people that, that I know that are in my circle the, the older you get, the more compassionate and therefore less conservative you become. And with something like, like this, where you purposely segregate yourself so as not to have to mingle with, you know, the undesirables, it's easy to believe that you are inclusive and that you do love everybody when you're surrounded by people who are telling you, yes, 
we are an inclusive people. We are awesome, awesome, awesome. Oh, cool. So would it be okay if we build low-income housing to help? And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't care about these people. We just don't want them near us. And so with the, the developer who is Steven's boss, when he's saying that, well, it's it's not like it's like it's um, tribal burial ground. It's not like a sacred ground. It's kind of like like saying, well, not all whites. Yeah. It's it's just that that feeling that it's uh, well, we're, we're the good guys here because we we didn't do that. Yeah, they're <laughs> very true. Yeah, it's just to me, it's just so it's so Boulder. I mean, yeah, I could do a whole episode talking about how Boulder is just the picture of white liberalism <laughs> i mean it really is every inch of it is like that yep yep it's all about property value exactly yeah yeah it's and, property and value. still being don't like let, don't let everybody Beast. those people move in it'll drive down property values don't build that housing mm -hmm. it'll drive down property values yeah yeah and i mean the school we went to that my sister and I ended up going to was, was a private school, but we were there. We were the, you know, we were the scholarship kids. We were the kids that were like the ones that were like paying the really expensive tuition. And and that's, you know, like I, I think of Steven, especially with reading his Reagan magazine of all mm -hmm. the ways that he and his family benefited or he thought that he was benefiting from Reagan's policies Mm -hmm. which made things worse for the entire middle class and made it worse for, but especially for people who weren't white. Yeah. And how, you know, th that kind of hypocrisy that you can sit there comfortably rolling joints in your bed with your wife and still see yourselves as, as these wonderful, upstanding people. Not that there's, you know, but just the, the perception in the eighties that anything to do with, with pot made you an evil person. So that that perception that okay, well, the, they're the, these really like cool, chill hippies who are also very responsible Americans because they um, they're reading about Reagan and they have these big jobs in in real estate and therefore whatever. So Stephen seems to have like a very he when he's showing that house around when he's you know showing the phase four of the development, mm -hmm. he's very cocky in his presentation, he's just very confident, very sure of himself. And I don't know, it's just funny to me that, that he becomes instantly unsure when there are other, and in this case, the others happen to be ghosts. So it's not like <laughs> yeah. it's, these are scary others, but just that, that thought that these are the, the kinds of people who, if a black family moved into the neighborhood, they would be like, so um, who sold you the house? Kind of like, who let you in here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much. And then the last thing I'll say, sorry, Susie, I'll get to you here in just a second. Just, just quickly, also with, with the pot thing, I think there's also that thing of, you know, the 80s was very much just say no, say no to drugs and lots of arrests. And I think it, the confidence there is also you're a white person. So you don't have that same fear of if you get caught by the police, that that's it, your life is over. So that's, I think that's the other cocky thing there too that people were dealing with. So Susie, what do you think about that with the message of the film or? Carla, I want your brain. It's so good. It is, is it? It's, like if oh, I were a zombie, you. I would go for you first. Did <laughs> 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 I 
I was so super excited about the compliment until I, I until you, you know it is a compliment. Like, oh. It would be truly, truly like if it would be like a situation <laughs> of like warm bodies where I get to see all your inner thoughts. Yes. <laughs> Good brain. All of Carla's inner thoughts are all the profanity that don't come out her mouth. <laughs> you go into Carla's brain and it's just a slew of obscenity trapped there because they don't come out her mouth. <laughs> you just see the words fly by. Oh my god. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I don't really have anything like <laughs> new or interesting to add other than the fact that something that I find really interesting about the film is that is that the haunting in a way is kind of saying, hey, so there's some history here that went down and that happened that you tried to bury and put a shiny label and shiny new house over it. But guess what? We're not going away. You can't forget it. And it's and it serves to make this this group of white people very uncomfortable because it could either be due to just um what just choosing to not acknowledge the fact that they either live on a cemetery or just that they know and are like we're fine not knowing we're fine not acknowledging this we have a brand new house look at all the shiny things but yeah there's nothing much else that i can add except for go ghosts <laughs> go i will say without dumb white people we wouldn't have a lot of horror i know <laughs> oh. <laughs> Go to white people. I mean, let's be real. Because anybody else would be like, "Mm, there's a cemetery up on that hill. I wonder if this used to be a cemetery. Like, it's close to the edge of town. Sprawl. Like, maybe I don't want to live here. White people are like, it's beautiful and it's massive. (laughs) Like he says, he's like, oh, this could be your your hot tub or whatever. It's a master bedroom. He's like, yeah, that's great if you live up here. Mm-hmm. Not if you're, because that's also something my mom and I comment on whenever we see a new build. We're like, yeah, I'd like to live there in that high rise, but only like on the top floor because that's that's the only good view you get. Yep. Everything else is just you picking into your neighbors. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that. <laughs> if we didn't have stupid white people, we wouldn't have that. Well, that's that's one thing I have to say that I thought was so genius about Insidious, which we're going to be discussing next week, is the fact that they do move. <laughs> And it comes with them. I, <laughs> that's one reason. Sorry, spoilers for Insidious yes. there. Sorry. Again, the ghosts of the past are like, you can't escape us. Come back here. <laughs> yeah, because that's where the person's being haunted. I love that movie. I know it didn't scare Sasha. I don't care. I love it. <laughs> it's a perfectly fine movie. It's just I love that, giving you a hard time. I'm just giving that you a hard time. That in the I was like, what? they're good you movies. Were- they're not scary. You weren't scared by Darth Maul's meth head cousin? (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to watch this movie. You haven't seen Insidious? Oh my god. Insidious. It's it's I think it's fabulous. I think it has the best opening credit sequence of any movie ever, honestly. Oh yeah. You'll never listen to that song the same again. Yeah. My dad used to sing that like in a high pitched um, Tiny Tim voice to us constantly, oh, really? constantly. So th- I know that song well. So this will be interesting for when I watch it. Oh, I as I watch it as, as I postpone my viewing of New Girl. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, well, this was written and produced by Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg was one of the writers. It was not directed by him. And I think people often forget that because this is such a Steven Spielberg film. It was directed by Toby Hooper, who is a lot darker horror director. This is not necessarily something you would normally see him do. And I know behind the scenes, they were they didn't really get along very well, as from what I understand. Um, a lot of the stuff that would be like the face peeling scene, that's much more Toby Hooper. That's what Toby Hooper wanted in there. He wanted this to be a lot darker. He didn't like how light and fluffy it was, is my understanding. So I want to ask Carla, do you think this would have been better <laughs> if it had toned down the Spielbergy of it all, Spielbergness of it all? It would have been a completely different film. I don't know that it would have been better or worse. It just would have been a very different movie. It wouldn't be the poltergeist that we know, which, you know, may or may not have been a good thing. Who knows? But I just find that it's, it's so telling that it feels so very much like a Spielberg movie for many reasons, like for the focus on the kids, for the the really good um, focus development on, on the family and all of the fantastical elements that Spielberg's like the Spielberg likes to use, but most tellingly is the fact that you could cut a solid solid quarter and make it just as good or even better. Because that's like an ongoing thing with Spielberg movies is that they have like four different places where you could be like, "Is this the end? Is it yet? Has it ended yet? And why not?" And that's the, like I was watching this and I was like, "This is this is nobody else's film." You know, I don't know what this Hooper dude was doing, but he was not sitting in the director's chair. Maybe he was like, you know, at, off at the races. It's like, whatever. I, I feel like that's an 80s thing. You know, where did he go? He's off at the races. I don't know. Maybe he, he was found doing a lady a with coke. red lipstick. Yes, there you go. He he was an, an early an early testing subject for for red lipstick. But it's okay. Like it's kind of mean, but it's also really funny. I was doing you know my, my research and. I read somewhere that Zelda Rubinstein was asked, you know, who directed the movie, you know, did Hooper direct it? And she said, Hooper couldn't even direct traffic. I was like, whoa, whoa. Wow. Okay. I think there's some movies that beg to differ this, but sorry. Go. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Wow. For sure. But shots like, fired. Shots fired. Yeah, shots fired big time. But wow. I, I just... <laughs> It's just that if you're looking at this movie, you know, his ability to direct has no bearing on the fact that this is a Spielberg movie through and through. So all of the the speculation, I, I really think that if you're watching this and you think that, that it's a Hooper movie and, and you've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then you see this and then you watch E.T. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is clearly a Hooper film. There's something wrong with you. Like, have you been snorting the cook in the bathroom? Because we should talk about that. They offer support <laughs> groups for that. <laughs> Do you yeah. or someone you love believe that Dolby <laughs> Hooper 
directed poltergeist? If so, we can help. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha? I I agree with Carla. Just because it is grape jelly slime. Come on. It's grape (laughs) jelly slime. You cannot convince me it's anything other than grape jelly. I don't care what you say. Like, it's grape jelly slime. It was so distracting. It really was. Um, I, I couldn't get into the horror of the, the, the face squelching moment because I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Is that jello coming up his face? Well, that and when they come through the portal, they're covered in it. And it's just like, it's you're in jelly. It's fine. Yeah. Also, the it screams, Spielberg, you have kids on bikes. Mm-hmm. Like it could have that whole sequence could have been straight out of ET. You're right. It's there. There's a very big disconnect between them. So I think I do agree with Carla. Though it would have been a very different movie if Spielberg's name was not attached to it in any way, shape, or form. I don't know if it would have been any better or worse. I'm thinking that at least the special effect for the grape jelly portion could have been better. But I mean, it still had like. I maintain that the clown, the swimming pool, and the tree are the scariest parts of that movie. So regardless of whose hands it ends up in, you have to deal with those elements. So I just, I don't know that it would be, I'm not comfortable guessing if it would be better or worse, because I don't know what it would have been. Susie? Well, just to touch on the the jelly jam is... Hey, listen, something that's like I find really funny about that is this is not related to Poltergeist in any way, but one of the makeup artists for Black Mirror who won an award for makeup revealed that in one of the episodes she just smeared strawberry jelly on a baby <laughs> to make it look newborn. <laughs> and she was like, I won an award for this. <laughs> okay, okay. That makes me feel better for thinking that Caroline and Diane coming through that portal looked like afterbirth. Okay. Right? That's, that was my like immediate thought. I was like, so the artist who did that scene in Black Mirror, she watched this, right? Like, Oh yeah, took totally intentional. It. Yeah. I feel like with Spielberg, like this movie is so Spielberg-y that I feel like I can take any shot from it and almost inserted into another film and like nothing would go amiss of his mm-hmm. that or take like even the the soundtrack it sounds so similar to many of his other films too that i feel like i can also take it and insert it in somewhere else and nothing would be amiss and even like some of the effects too like in the scene when that big like dog monster <laughs> is in front of the kid's door yeah Dog the spindly creature. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can I can see that coming out of the Lost Ark and in in the first Indiana Jones movie. Like I feel like that would like fit in perfectly in that. It's like the whole film to me is very Spielbergy, and I just I'm curious to see like what an attempt. And I haven't seen like the remake, so I don't know what's up. I I'd be interested to see like a version of this film where it delves maybe deeper into like a horror version. Cause for me, it's always more like Spielberg than horror. And mm-hmm. like, in my opinion. 
So I'd I'd want to see like a more like horrifying thing. Well, I also yeah. just because one of the things is that Spielberg really wanted it to be rated PG. Like at that point, um, mm-hmm. the MPAA hadn't instituted in PG thirteen that wouldn't come until two years later. So they, you know, just based on what it was supposed to be, it should have been rated R, especially with with Hooper directing. Yeah. But Spielberg really wanted that PG rating. And also, um, apparently in one of the earlier discussions, Caroline was supposed to die, which definitely Mm -hmm. would have been a very different movie and definitely would have been very not Spielberg-like. So, you know, there are all these indications. And then it's it's funny that, you know, after everything, the MPAA initially wanted to rate the movie R and they they lobbied for it to get rated back to PG. Again, because that's what because I Hooper I don't think would have cared because all of this stuff no. is R. Yeah, but so yeah. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was like you know X rated, so which which is ridiculous because honestly that movie has so little blood in it. It's like it's people just think it's gory. It's not a gory movie, yeah. really. Honestly, for the longest time before I ever watched it, like I just from again stuff that I heard about it, I thought it was going to be like a gore fest mm-hmm. and just be like real torture porny and disgusting. But no, yeah, yeah, it's it's brutal, but it's it's brutal because of the movie. <laughs> it's not brutal because of the story. Yeah, I, I, you know, here's the thing: I don't really like Steven Spielberg movies. <laughs> I'll be I'll be quite frank. I've already said on here before and gotten a lambasted and attacked for saying this. I hate Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park is a snooze fest and boring. I think Jaws is boring, boring, boring. I I root for Jaws. I do because, I mean, it's not Jaws' fault that stupid humans are in his territory. It's your own fault. You're a human. You get Look, attacked. more white people. <laughs> yeah. That's Jaws. Delicious and not nutritious. Listen, precious little Brucey was just living his life. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And who comes around saying, I want to pet the murder guppy? The white people. I want to pet <laughs> the, murder the murder guppy. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's mess with this dangerous chunk. No, leave the chunk alone. So, so I'm not a Spielberg person. I love Poltergeist, though. I love Poltergeist. And I think it's because it has that nostalgia feel for me of being the first horror movie I ever watched and that I was so young when I watched it. But I do, you know, it, I, but I always have to remind myself that Steven Spielberg didn't direct this because he basically might as well have directed this. And he did have a lot of control. He didn't want to secede any, a lot of control to Toby because his vision is so different and he's such a different kind of director. As I think of Toby Hooper as, as a lot grittier in a lot of ways uh, than Spielberg is. I mean, someday we might talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre on this on this show, which I think is a really brilliantly done movie. Uh, lots of stories to talk about about them making that movie. I mean, lots of stories. But I don't know if I want to ever watch that movie again. So it would have to be <laughs> be like, okay, am I in a psychological place where I can put myself through this 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 movie so yeah i i don't know what this movie would have been like especially if carol ann had died it's very interesting to look at that because we're going to talk in a second about you know the curse that is supposedly over these films uh because if you don't know 
the actress, Heather O'Rourke, she died when they were in the middle of filming the third Poltergeist movie. And she died. She it was not like, you know, some weird thing where she was cursed and she died. It was like she was really sick. The doctor misdiagnosed what she had, that kind of thing. And she she sadly passed away at a very young age. She was like 12, right? Um, yeah, she was really, yeah, she was 12, yeah. And it yeah. was sepsis? Yeah, and you could tell in some of the shots when she would look bigger and puffier because of that. And then, of course, she died when they were in the middle of making it, and they ended up finishing it, which outraged a lot of the people involved. And a lot of people have sensed that, I, you know, like the director, I think, is like, I, I hate that this movie ever got finished and... You know, which which makes sense. But so I think that would have been interesting because I don't know, you know, if if her character had died, then there wouldn't be the sequels because the sequels are all about her character. So and I don't think it probably would have been I don't know, it probably would have had a different kind of legacy around it if it was like that. And if it was darker, I, you know, as much as I don't really like Spielberg and as much as I roll my eyes at a lot of Spielberg stuff. I think for this, it works and fits. And once again, that could be because of the nostalgia of it all for me personally. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the curse that we already kind of discussed. So uh, if you don't know, um, also the actress who played Dana was murdered by her ex-boyfriend who was very abusive. So, you know, people have said that's because of the movie, because people like to say there's a curse on this. Uh, and lots of other things. Um, of course, we've already said Heather O'Rourke. And I believe the actor who played Reverend Kane, who's, who comes in in the second one, he also died. I think they, they recast him in the third one because he wasn't alive, I believe. And the actor looks exactly the same. So, And I have to say, even though I'm not a fan of the second one, that character is one of the creepiest villains that has ever been in a horror movie hands down <laughs> even you know i was talking to somebody who said they kept thinking was it wasn't it on our live stream last night of our uh horror trivia i think someone was talking about how they kept thinking kane was in the first one because it's such yeah. an iconic villain but yeah. he doesn't show up until the second one okay so carla what do you think about people saying there's a curse on this film you know i i think especially when it comes to to horror movies People want to attach so much more than there is sometimes to stuff like this. And I mean, it, it is kind of an extraordinary thing that four actors from this from this franchise passed away. Um, Heather O'Rourke, um, Dominique Dunn, Julian Beck, and Will Sampson. Will Sampson played... Julian Beck played Kane, and Will Sampson played Taylor. And you know, all of the, those deaths are, are are tragic and it's very sad. I don't think that it's a curse, though. I think it's just a really sad streak of tragedy that happened to happen to these to these actors. But it's it's just one of the, those ways in which we try to make sense of stuff in the world that, you know, it, it can't just possibly be that it happened because people die and sometimes they die young and it's it's so sad it's like well there must be an external influence to this and the same thing with with when we when we say that somebody who is horrible is evil and we we because sasha has talked about this in the past that you know 
just ascribing the label evil to somebody who does horrible things then kind of removes the um, the what's it called the onus on them or the, the yes the responsibility well the responsibility that's yes yes it, it takes that off of them and it places on this magical other world that it's like you know there's it comes from somewhere else so instead of trying to make sense of this or instead of just you know saying well crap th this is a really bad run for these people it's like nope it's a curse it's a curse the, the whole thing of like you know deaths come in threes same thing we're looking for a pattern we're looking for something to help us make sense of 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 these things but it's yeah it's not, i don't think it's a curse sasha carla didn't steal my thought <laughs> which means i'm gonna steal Susie's. so i'm sorry Susie. <laughs> I want to throw out there yes to everything that Carla said, like, you know, it's human nature to try and problem solve and find a pattern and do all of that. But I think that the labeling it as a cursed film kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Amityville, where it's like the true crime and the tragedy and it's a train wreck. And it's, we, people want that, you know, they want to be part of that and they want to connect all the dots and, so somebody sat down with an image of poltergeist and they put everybody's pictures up and they created a murder board and went, well, look, they were in this movie and this person died. And then this person was in this movie and they died. And this person was, you know, a janitor on set and they died. And it's gotta be a curse because all these people mm -hmm. who were associated with this one franchise have passed away. I hate to break it to you. People die. It's our job. Like we, none of us are getting out alive, all going to die. And you what? can't, I'm sorry, Carla, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, my bad. So I think that it's part of that looking for the, it's not a true crime, but it's the same, you know, they want to find, or they want to make it a haunted movie, right? So it's cursed, it's haunted. Anybody who's associated with it, bad things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's cursed. I just think it's it's what happens. Susie, did she steal your thoughts? I think I have a thought. I'm going to put it out there. If it makes no sense, I apologize. I'm coming up with it on the fly just so I have something to say. I don't think the film is cursed. I think it's just, I think it's the quote-unquote curse on the film is probably part of a lot of things like like my wonderful <laughs> friends have mentioned before, it's it's a way for us to because death to us humans is scary for the most part, and we fear it, and we always want an explanation for why death or why bad things happen, and so probably attaching a curse onto it helps assuage some of those fears. Mm -hmm. But there's also like just the fact that sometimes bad things can happen in a sequence of seemingly related events. And you can see that all through history. Like one of the most popular instances of it is with the King Tut tomb. When they opened it, everyone thought that everyone associated with it was going to die. And some people did die and people were saying, Oh, it's because of the curse, because of the curse. Mm -hmm. And more other people went on to live really long lives, but it was those deaths that got sensationalized. And that kind of brought more attention to the tomb and with a way that can kind of be similar to, to this film. 
where also probably having the quote-unquote curse helps like sensationalize the film and like make it probably more popular in some circles like oh you have to see this cursed film and this film that caused all this tragedy like I know that's a selling point for the exorcist that the film was also cursed and in part a studio that made Amityville try to do it as well where they would goad um, Brolin and I think Kidder into saying like hey did anything creepy happen today to do you want to tell us anything creepy? And it got to the point where they were just making stuff up, like, oh yeah, my lunch fell into my lap. Oh, it was a ghost. <laughs> oh no. But it's in part it's it's that like sensationalizing it to probably make it more popular among certain people that like do want to like hold fast and believe that curses do exist and that like this happened, but the reality of it is, is that sometimes a series of unfortunate events can occur. And even though we want to have an explanation for it, most times there isn't. And that's just an uncertainty that we have to live with. And I think it's better to remember and appreciate these actors for the time that we had them and like thank them for the work that they did and honor their memories in that way instead of just attaching it to a random curse. Very, very well said, Susie. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I think, you know, I kind of wrote down, we could do a whole episode about, you know, urban legends surrounding films, you know, or cursed films. And then like, you know, like there's the famous one about uh, three men and a baby where there's the supposed ghost when it's actually just Ted Danson, like a picture of Ted Danson over there as a kid. But it still rages on where you're like, oh, there's a ghost. There's a ghost boy. Because people like that stuff. They like sensationalism. Um, Yeah, it does speak a lot to what we talked about in our Amityville episode, where it is exploiting tragedy. Because I do agree, Susie, I think it does also speak to our fear of death. And so if we can find an explanation for that or even sensationalize it, it makes it less scary and less personal. I mean, you know, we even talked about this kind of stuff when we were talking about American Crime Story. And when we talked about the second one, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace, there's a scene in there where one of the tourists, you know, and I don't know how real this is, but this kind of stuff happens anyway, where there's a tourist watching and they run up with a cutout magazine and soak it in his blood and run back because they want a piece of his blood, which is just absolutely disgusting. But this is stuff people do. I mean, it's weird, but people do it. So it's like, I mean, I would never think, you know, standing there at a crime scene where someone was just shot in the head to be like, I'm going to go up and soak this magazine in this guy's blood. But, you know, it's because we have this weird fixation with celebrity. We have this weird fixation, which goes into the movie part of it, too. It's like this weird fixation with these are people that aren't like us. And so when something weird happens in their we can talk to about it differently we don't have to talk about it like with human with quote unquote normal human beings kind of thing I think that's part of it too I mean it's like how we feel we know celebrities or we feel we can talk to celebrities like we wouldn't ever talk to other people because they're not real human beings in our head I think that's and I think this all stems from it it may not seem like it connects but I think it all connects to that thing 
And I do agree with what Carla said earlier too, about how if this wasn't a horror movie, it, you know, because this stuff happens on every, <laughs> lots of movies, this isn't like a rare thing. You know, you have lots of movies where actors die right before, or during, or actors die after, or stunt people, or all sorts of stuff. But with horror, because it's already scary, it's a lot easier to be like, okay, I'm going to associate this with a curse, or this film is cursed. Because it also makes the film scarier. And I think, you know, a lot of production companies love it, I'm sure, because then more people will watch it. More people, I mean... I'm sure, and it's not horror, but I'm sure with Three Men and a Baby, when that first came out, more people were probably renting it and pausing at that moment to see if they can see the ghost. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to do an episode. Well, it, also, it also makes you feel like you're part of something. Like, if you're watching it, you're, you're part mm -hmm. of this community that is in on, on this exclusive thing that's not so exclusive mm -hmm. because you heard about it somewhere, right? But yeah. it's just that, that feeling of wanting to belong. That, that, it's that FOMO. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Okay. Well, the last thing I had here was just about the sequels. If anybody wants to say anything, if not, I'm perfectly fine not talking about the sequels. But did you... Carla, I, I will Sasha's say like, that. No. <laughs> the only thing that I will say is that it, it has so many isms that I couldn't be bothered to watch past the first like 20 minutes and then I was out. Yeah, and you know oh, the second the one. one. The third one I couldn't be bothered with. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and Sasha, you said no, right? Yeah, I I probably watched the second one a million years ago. I haven't seen it since. I there is nothing memorable about it in my brain, and I'm really kind of bummed because I should know the Kane thing, but I it doesn't trigger. Look him up, and if you see his picture, you will probably remember him. He's very, yeah. he's like one of the I, hands, I really think that's one of the creepiest, creepiest characters that's ever been in a horror movie, even though the sequels aren't good. I still, yeah. Yeah. Um, can I jump back to your Johnny Versace thing, though? Because yeah, I watched uh -huh. that. I just want to point out, uh, white woman. Yes, it was a white woman. Yes. You finished it? You didn't tell me? <laughs> I didn't finish it. I'm, oh. I have not finished it. I'm still stuck. I'm only a couple of episodes in. I have not finished it. I saw that episode, so I knew exactly what you're talking about. I was like, oh, look, it's another white lady. I was like, she didn't Mama tell me blood. that Mama she finished blood. it? No. Um, Susie, do you want to mention anything about the sequels? I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> the only memorable <laughs> thing about the sequels for me is Kane. And he was such a big, like, I remembered him so much from the second one and nothing else. But I seriously thought he was going to show up in the first one when I rewatched it recently. And I think I've mentioned this before. And when he did it, I was like, wait a second. He's not in this one. <laughs> I was just waiting for him to pop up continuously. I was like, oh, oh, it's the yeah. okay, not this one. Oh, next. No, no, no. Um, but just to share like a fun historical fact back to the Gianni thing. Apparently during hangings and beheadings in the past, people would go and make mm -hmm. a picnic out of it. Be a fun family activity. And some would even go and dip their blood, their handkerchiefs in the blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, I think Tiff actually mentioned that on the episode, too. We talked about yeah. that, too. Yeah. But there's nothing else to say about Poltergeist. I'm not going to talk about any of the sequels. Oh, wait. But I do oh, have something. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, to bring up, because it's something that was in my notes and I forgot. The thing, one of the things with, with Poltergeist is, the, the first one only, is that there is so much about women and and their power and um their how perceptive they are and i really i really like that i like that you know carol ann is the one who is 
able to communicate with the spirits. I like that Diane, first of all, it was hilarious to me that she sees all of these things with the chairs and she's like, oh, this is so fun, you know, and <laughs> and it's Stephen who has the reaction that I would have had where he's just like dazed and, and just kind of like, this is not okay. This is not how things are supposed to work. And then you have um, the doctor, I forget her her name, who comes in and she's the medium and she's kind of like the the ghost facer type person and she's kind of like oh you know we did have um we've had hauntings that where we were before so you know and this is nothing compared none of what they've seen compares to this but she has such a soothing presence and she really moves the plot along in a way that that's very she has a lot of boring lines but she's not boring when she delivers them and she she gives she just makes you feel so comforted and then of course you have um tangina who is if there's one person that you remember from this film that well two people carol ann and tangina because mm -hmm. when when she says this house is clean in that very <laughs> she looks like so cocky when she says it yeah <laughs> and she's ready for her close-up and everything but she is such a force in that film. Um, she has a very small role in that film, but she is really consequential. And she, I don't know, like I, I thought that, that she, but the, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is because in a genre where women are so often the, just, just the victims or they're the pawns or whatever it may be, it's these women who are really driving everything and who are holding things together and, um, who are the reason why this family gets through this. And Stephen acts like a man, by which I mean that he thinks that he knows better than the women experts and therefore makes everything worse. So it, it just, it, it really, I, I wanted to make sure to, to bring that up because mm -hmm. it set me up to believe that there was some kind of, of more progressive thinking going on behind the scenes, but then you watch, you know, the the rest of the of the series and it's like oh no that was a fluke <laughs> my bad <laughs> no that's that's a good no i'm glad you brought that because that's that's very true yeah and zelda rubenstein i have to say anytime she's in a movie she's pretty memorable i mean teen witch everybody i mean come on yeah and even her little <laughs> tiny like two minutes of time in 16 candles is memorable so it's like anything she does is memorable so yeah, yeah, I'm glad we got to to bring her up. Okay, yeah, I don't I don't have anything to say. I will say I have seen the remake of Poltergeist because I will see anything Sam Rockwell does as long as he's not just continuing that trend of I want to play racist cops for some reason uh, that he got on, which really annoyed me. Anyway, uh, I will watch anything he does because he's one of my favorite actors. So I have seen it. I don't remember a thing about it. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> I was shocked he was in it. That's all I do remember, though. So we're going to go ahead and close out and have everybody say where they can be found. Carla. Thank you, Erin. Meg and I have a podcast called Bedwet or Behead. And you can find that anywhere where you find podcasts. And uh, we have a Twitter and that is at bedwetbeheadpod. Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod. On Facebook, look up Bedwet or Behead podcast. And you will find a shining bright in that cesspool of whatever facebook is these days 
I also have a website with my photography and some poetry and some links to stuff that I've written. And that is uh, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S.com. And keep an ear out for the episode uh, discussing Finn Whitrock's characters from American Horror Story. I'm not letting Carla interrupt that. So, uh, <laughs> and Sasha, where can you be found? <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Instagram at Vegan Geek Chick, and that will link you to my obnoxious dog's Instagram as well. Awesome. And someday we're going to get Sasha to join Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm not joining Twitter. Stop with the Twitter. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I know. I know my campaigns. I, I, I give a lot of effort to them and sometimes they just don't pay off. It's just not fair. It has a lot of, 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 of pots to stir. It's true. <laughs> I try. Wait, it's October. I... She has a lot of cauldrons to to stir there we go and Susie so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SusieQ underscore SC on Twitter and then there's an additional underscore for Instagram and you can find my dog's Instagram at um, Benny underscore Pelosita that's B-E-N-N-I-E underscore P-E-L-S you <laughs> I can't oh my god my brain left it's so cute. It's it's twelve at night. I can't. It's I can't. twelve at night. <laughs> what? Where are you? <laughs> Did you teleport to London? No. Also known as six thirty p.m. Y'all. <laughs> out of me. It's gonna it's out her, night, y'all. I was like looking at the clock too. I'm like, wait a minute. I know. I'm like, wait. I feel like we were recording a shorter one this time. I'm so confused. It's still daylight. I know. Known known as the Susie Zone. (laughs) Okay, and this is Erin. You can find me on Twitter at e April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized, and I'll probably be done with my lovely, wonderful Finn Whitrock threads unless I go and find other characters to do those threads on, because <laughs> they're fun. I know only, like, a couple of people are getting a kick out of them, but I get a kick out of them, <laughs> and that's all that matters. Yeah. Be sure to like the show on that cesspool known as Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, feel free to reach out to me at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. Uh, just a couple of quick little things here. We are still doing our live tweets of American Horror Story double feature. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the second part, I just, we already have male pregnancy and tentacle sex and. I think Ryan Murphy decided, I don't know what I'm going to write about, so I'm going to go search the AO3 tags. I was just going to say, did you take a deep dive into Archive of Our Own? And it's just like copying all of the the tags and being like, you know what? Let's just throw this out there and see what sticks. Yeah, I feel like he just printed out ideas and put them on a dartboard and was like, oh, let's see. I think that's what he does all the time, frankly, but... But I still keep watching his stuff. I, I just, oh my gosh. I need like a 12-step program or something. <laughs> but anyway, we're still doing those. 
uh, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And we've added something to them. By this time, the first one would have happened. And I don't know if Jen and I would have done it for the movie we're live tweeting. We're going to start doing, because it was my idea after something that Jen said, my podcast brain twin from my streaming bubble. She had said she was so angry at that first episode of the second part of American Horror Story double feature that she almost recorded a spontaneous episode just to bitch about it. (laughs) And I don't blame her because I was like, what the fuck, Ryan Murphy? Anyway, but you say that about 100 billion times during his stuff. We are going to be doing live reactions right after. So, and Susie, who does a lot of the live tweets, is welcome to come on those too. Erin Amos, if she wants to as well. So we're down do the clown. Next week, we're going to be covering Insidious and The Conjuring. So that should be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.